It's Otani Day on FT Friday. Who's feeling it? Raise your hand to post Shohei Otani. Come on, Shohei Otani. Is he, is he signing today before midnight? Raise your hand. Wow, just me? All right. Mm-mm. All good. What's going Wednesday. on? He's Wednesday Live? next week. Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. Locate's back in the house. Todd Father. Um, thanks to everyone for uh, 29K, almost 30K subs on YouTube alone. Obviously, if you're following us anywhere else, pod social, etc. Check us out on YouTube. That's the spot. Okay. And of course, shout out to our friends on stadium on here right now. No, before we start. Um, actually, you know what? Let's start because this is part of it. Charge the mound. Shohei Otani updates. Getting insane. Getting It's basically TMZ instead of FT Live today. You know, we got flights being tracked. <laughs> we, JP Morosi puts out that his decision is imminent possibly as early as today. So let's start with this. Lo, what does imminent mean to you? Like if you had to put a timeline on it. So does imminent mean within 24 hours? Does imminent mean within three days? When does someone put out a report like this and the time expire that they would be wrong? Do you know what I'm saying? Like if, if it, in my mind, if it was next Wednesday, that's not imminent. So imminent, imminent to me means today. What does it mean to you? Agreed. I, I would say before the end of the day, that, that's in, imminent to me. So I think by the end of the day, we should know something according to this source. But, hey, if we have to wait, wait another week, I mean, you know, this is a waste of a, of a tweet. Or, or <laughs> oh, I can call it out. I'm yeah. friends with J.P. Morosi, Locan. <laughs> He'd be wrong. He's putting his reputation on the line right now. It's got to happen today. Yes. Well, I agree. Well, Imminent means about to happen. So mm-hmm. does that mean it's about to happen now? It's about to happen in a week? I, we don't know. So he's actually covering his track. So if, if you do look up the word, it says about to happen, but it doesn't say specifically when it's about to happen. So well, then I'll say it's imminent too, if that's the definition. They, hey, I'll there you go. Imminent. I think that's imminent right. is, is today. I think you put that out. Imminent I, means it's happening today. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you put that out without thinking it's going to happen within the next 24 hours. Yep. So we'll Agreed. see. We'll see. I mean, I, I don't I don't think it will, but we'll we'll see. So let me give you some more clues. Ben Nicholson Smith covers the Toronto Blue Jays and points out the significance of December eighth. That is the last time Shohei Otani signed. That was with the Angels. And it was on December the eighth. So six years ago he made that call. There's been a lot of people uh, referring to Japanese culture and how eight is a lucky number there. Shohei Tani number is 17 from the Angels, one plus seven. The Yankees are holding 18 for Yamamoto. So eight's one of those standout numbers in Japan. Um, so there could be some superstitious nature to it. Not that sure. we really know, but I can see that. Hey, if you could do whatever you want, right? Todd, father, like you're in complete control you have all the leverage you get to pick where you go the money no one's allowed to talk about it etc right you might as well pick the day too and make it special listen i want to be the guy that has the number he wants okay i i i whatever team he goes to i want to be the guy that has say 17 <laughs> because guess what <laughs> he's not just going to give up that 17 it's about hey man what do you got for me and hey a guy me might write him a $50,000 check, you know, or he might buy him a new car. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope to God whoever has the number he wants has it already just so that dude can get a nice handsome watch or a nice suit or something. That's that's all I'm praying for, whoever team he has. There's a plane involved, and this is where I need Lowe's expertise. Okay. So Jim Bowden posted about the flight tracker and how there was a flight Friday morning that went from Anaheim to Toronto. They do not list who the humans are that go on these flights, but we at least know that they're mm. happening. So take that for whatever you think that is. Um, I'll read it for you. So he said, who knows if this is anything related to Otani, but credit Twitter users who have identified a private jet scheduled this morning to fly from Anaheim to Toronto. And even if it is, is it a visit to Toronto since he went to Dunedin last Monday, or is he going to sign? I think that he actually did kind of quietly, secretly visit Toronto already. It didn't sound like anybody could confirm that, but 
there's your flight. So here's my question where I need your expertise, Lo. I remember back after the 2017 season, we kept tracking like Oklahoma to Milwaukee. What does it mean? You signed a big ass deal years back. Take me through mm. what's going on right now. I think you were, hey, you weren't just talking to the world about it, but you were definitely not as secretive as Shohei Otani. I don't think you told teams don't say anything, but right. can you relate at all here to what he's going through right now when you're being courted? 100%. You know, um, like I say, I, I took the flight, you know, to Milwaukee, you know, everyone who knows me, you know, I'm just starting to get on social media like this. So uh, it's amazing that people can find out anything nowadays. That's, that's the impressive <laughs> part. Um, but yeah, I was in Milwaukee. Um, I don't know how the information got out. You know, it's not like I posted or told anybody. So, uh, I think I think this this has something to it, and if he is just visiting, hopefully they're rolling out the red carpet for him. Because you know, if he's a super, he's a stoop superstar that we know, you don't let guys like that out of the building. So hopefully he goes there, the visit's great, they're rolling out the red carpet, and hopefully um, I know as a you know the Toronto fans in general would love for him to sign there for sure. Where are we at though? Do any of these rumors or clues? help to steer your decision one way or another because for so long the Dodgers were the front runner they're the odds <laughs> uh, leader by far mm -hmm. the entire year you do surveys everyone thinks or the majority thinks that's where he's going if you have to pick right now where's he going oh man you know that's that's the tough part I mean <laughs> gotta decide hey if you're wrong you're wrong it doesn't matter you're just guessing we don't know shit but you know, what I, you got? let's go to Toronto. You know, we're, uh, all the visits are pouring out there. I know once I, you know, I visited Milwaukee, you know, um, everything was already locked in by the time I visited Milwaukee. You know, I had already agreed and we had come to an agreement and I was in, basically there getting a physical without anybody knowing. So, hey, I think if I had to just pick team, pick a team right now, I would pick Toronto. Todd Father? Hmm. I hope it's on the East Coast. That's all I hope for. I mean, does Toronto count? Oh yes, it does. For sure. Yeah. I mean, Boston, Toronto, Orioles, Philly. I mean, why do you I, hope I, it's on the East Coast, dude? So I can watch them more. I'm sleeping by the time <laughs> this game. Come on, man. Same yeah, thing yeah. with Mike Trout. Once Shohei goes, somebody trade for his ass too. So um, Toronto would be great. I'm gonna say. Oh man, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. I I, I think. The guess is L.A., the Dodgers, but I'm going to stick with Toronto, too. Is there any chance that the Blue Jays have a higher offer right now and he really wants to go to the Dodgers, but maybe the Blue Jays have him beat by 50 mil? Like, maybe the Dodgers yeah. are at 550 and the Toronto's like 600. I think beat they have that. to. I think they have to. I Man, it's, it's so hard because is he doing it for the money? No, we know that, but another 25, 30 million on top of what you're going to make. I mean, that's a simple yes for majority of America. So, and, and in the world, I should say. So, um, you think about everything, LA, the, the taxes, you think about living, you think about traffic, you think about East coast, West coast, where's your family meet best? Uh, what are they going to do? They're going to provide the, the housing for you. Is everything taken care of? You know, do you have your own chef yeah i mean there's a lot of things that go into this that people don't understand like for this kind of athlete not just where he wants to go how much money he's going to make but the little things that count too as well so what happens here lo did you sit down with milwaukee and did they start telling you about like their farm system does it even get that deep or it's more like hey we've got good facilities we like you a lot we're a good team right now like t take me through what you remember was a factor for you and even if it wasn't a factor for you, what are they trying to sell a big free agent on? Like what, what is in the conversation when they sit down and they do the small talk and then they get into things? What what happens next? I was in I was personally was in a little bit of a, a different situation than Otani. See, Milwaukee was the team that drafted me. So I had a comfort level with them. So I initially flew out to LA and met with the owner and the GM and everybody. And they just, you know, they gave me this whole rundown and this vision that they you know, expect from the team and, and, you know, what they want to do going forward. So to me, you know, cause I wanted to either go to Milwaukee or Texas, you know, Texas, you know, they were in and then they were out. 
So my next choice was Milwaukee because it was a comfort thing. I'm big on comfort and yeah. a family atmosphere. So I was in a little bit of a different situation in, than Otani. Um, you know, who, who knows what they're selling him. But for me, at the end of the day, it comes down to comfort. Um, is my family going to feel safe out here? Uh, you know, I got three boys. Um, so that's why I eventually decided to choose Milwaukee because I knew the coaches. I knew the trainers. I knew so many people in the minor league system. So that's what kind of finalizes the decision for me. Let, let's spend two minutes here on Juan Soto. Um, he sent his farewell note, and he is definitely keeping an eye on the Otani sweepstakes for next year. <laughs> Where's the number at? Okay, okay, I see it. So he sent a little farewell note to the San Diego crowd, um, and there it is. And it was you know, pretty simple. simple. Yeah. Simple goodbye, because also I think he is fired up to join the Yanks. But um, it included in that second paragraph, my arrival was a roller coaster of emotions, but what a good journey it's been to my fans. Feeling your support and love for me has been gifts from God, for which I am grateful every day. So it, Scott, it, was, short. it was like I, four sentences. I, I want to ask you this. As a non-professional athlete, do you think like farewells like are needed? Like I'm not trying to be rude. As a like, fan, as, as a fan, like do you appreciate that? Or even if if he didn't say that, would you be like, oh man, what a jerk! He didn't say goodbye. You know how sometimes we have in our polls like yes, no, or I don't care. I yeah. would be in the I don't care mode for this particular okay. case. If that'd it's good, Joey Votto leaving the Reds for a million years, yeah, okay. I want a little note from from a guy who's all over social media, right? Sure. If it's Juan Soto for a season and a half in San Diego, I'm good either way. Like, I definitely don't need one. If he puts something like this out, okay, that's fine. You know, yeah. that's okay. how I feel about it's it. Curious. Yeah, that's a good question. I think if you are a player who was with a team for a long time and just retired or gets traded or signs elsewhere, Freddie Freeman, good example, right? Yeah. You're a Braves fan, you're hurting. The jersey forever. He's your favorite player. He signs with the Dodgers. No matter what you think of what happened, I want a little something, right? But you wouldn't be like, oh, what a jerk. Like, would it would change your mind on the person if he didn't? No, nah, just on the letter. No. I yeah. mean, yeah, I just would lean more towards it's the right thing to do if you've been with a team for a long time and you're really connected to the city. So, Fair. yeah, I don't know Fair how enough. you felt. Yeah, with this one low, but I was kind of like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I was just either scared. way. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I personally, I didn't really. Like I said, I didn't have social media, so I didn't really put out a letter <laughs> once I left KC. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we did a little, you know, deal at the end there when we walked off the field. You know, uh, hands. You know, the fans did a, you know, standing ovation for myself, Hosmer, and all those guys. And to me, that was kind of the send off, and you know, as we know, Kansas City fans, they know how to do it the right way. So that was kind of my send off. No doubt. Now's your time, though. It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Hello, 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 hello. Hello on Insta. Guys, I know it's been seven years or whatever it was. Sorry, I forgot. Here's the note. <laughs> I like it. I work on it. Hey, I'll, I'll mention this because this is our poll question. Uh, what should the Mets do with Pete Alonso? If he ends up leaving in free agency after next year, he gets traded. I think he would put something out there mm -hmm. he's on social he, he'd sure. be all over it he's at a you know the connection with the Mets fans the LFGM um so what should the Mets do with Pete a extension b trade c nothing as in let him ride out the last year of his deal with the Mets or of team control with the Mets and then see what happens in the offseason um watchstadium.com slash foul territory and then we're going to talk to Tim Healy who just wrote about the news or really non-news there he is right thumbs down I would say Tim right now um, as he joins us coming up next, Ron Locane, Todd Father, and Tim Healy from Newsday, who covers the Mets, joining us right now. Tim, great to see you. Happy almost holidays. And let's get right into the non story that you posted that is a story last night for Newsday. So, why is Pete Alonso not loved by the Mets right now? Well, I don't know it's that they don't love him, but as I reported, there just haven't been any contract extension negotiations to this point in the offseason. At the beginning of the offseason, the negotiators on both sides turned over, right? Pete Alonso hired Scott Boris, and the Mets hired David Stern. So those two, those parties, the new parties, just haven't talked about it. And that could be for a few reasons. One is 
those sorts of talks don't really happen usually until January, February, maybe March leading up to opening day. But then the other is the very real possibility that an extension just does not happen this offseason and both sides are comfortable letting 2024 play out however it does, the season and then Alonzo's free agency. So to this point, what we know is no talks between Alonzo and the Mets, and I'm not super confident that that's going to change soon. Now, from covering Pete for, what, the five, six years that he's been there? I, I don't know exactly. Um, does, he have a, does he have that feel that he wants to stay in New York? Do you have that feeling that, you know, is he not afraid to go anywhere else, or does he love it in New York like it, like it seems? Well, he likes New York. He says all the right things about liking New York. Um, but for, for not just Pete, but for anybody, I think you kind of can't help but wonder what might be out there for you professionally, financially, personally, living in a new city, a new part of the country. Um, so, you know, I think Pete likes New York plenty, and but uh, that's not necessarily going to, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily that he's there's only one team in the in his heart of hearts. You know what I mean? Good, Lo, you good? All right, no, sorry about that. Yeah, what well, a question I have is: Do we have another Otani situation playing out where he neither gets signed or traded? I, I just I can't see that happening again. It's it's quite likely that. You know, if the Mets don't sign Alonzo to an extension before the season, it's going to be his free agent year, which will raise the interesting possibility that if the Mets aren't in at the trade deadline, maybe they trade. The, rest, the, the risk they run with that, of course, would be, even though they could always re-sign Alonzo into that scenario, when guys get traded and see what it's like elsewhere, sometimes it opens their eyes to, wow, actually – Life is okay in a new city, in a city other than the only one I've ever known. So that will be an interesting storyline over the first half of the season. Um, but, you know, I think back to what Steve Cohen said in August after the traded line when he was asked about Alonzo and his contract and, a, and an extension. He referenced Brandon Nimmo. And Brandon Nimmo hired Scott Boris going into his last season before free agency, had a very good year did not get a contract extension, reached free agency, did the whole meetings with other team thing, and then came back to the Mets. So that kind of feels like the most likely option right now here with Pete Alonzo. Let me ask you this. I want to jump to Yamamoto real quick. Um, seems like this is, <clears throat> besides Otani, this is the guy that a lot of teams are on right now, especially in New York. You think about the Yankees and Mets. Um Stearns made a trip uh, to meet with him, uh, along with Steve Cohen, I think, too, as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what did you get from that? And do you think the Mets are gung-ho? This is the guy we, we got to shake down and get right now. What I made of it is that, yes, they're absolutely gung-ho. Yamamoto is plan A. He is really – he would be the biggest ticket of their offseason, the biggest addition of their offseason. <sighs> But that's true for a lot of teams. <laughs> the Yankees really want him and their fan base really wants him. Red Sox and their fans. Dodgers and their fans, depending on how the Otani stuff sorts out. So Yamamoto is going to really cash in. He's going to get by far the biggest contract of any Japanese player coming to the United States. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be interesting because if the Mets don't land Yamamoto – I'm not sure that they're going to be after the other elite starting pitchers on the market. Blake Snell, two-time Cy Young Award winner. Jordan Montgomery had a great year last year, especially in the playoffs. Those guys are going to get big deals. I'm just not sure that the Mets are going to be big players for them. So a lot of their hopes ride on Yamamoto. He's only 25 years old, so he fits their timeline perfectly. A little bit of a reset in 2024 before really trying to win in 25 and 26 and beyond. So – a lot of the Mets offseason plan rides on Yamamoto. They should know within the next week or two whether they get plan A or whether they need to more earnestly pursue plans B and C. 
So let's talk this out. And Gary Sheffield Jr. is trying to scoop people, but he basically <laughs> said, and we can show the tweet in a second here. There it is. Reports are saying Yamamoto, quote, wants the biggest stage. The biggest stage res resides in New York, and it ain't in Queens. Money talks in most cases, but if what he says is true, he's in pinstripes rocking number 18 in April. Do you feel, covering the Mets, that they are very much second fiddle for a player if he is in a similar money range? I also think that even if the Mets feel like they do need to offer more, um, their purse is bigger. <laughs> yeah. Well, their purse is definitely bigger. They are the richest baseball team in New York City, that's for sure. But to Gary Sheffield Jr.'s point, the, the Mets aren't the sexiest brand in New York City, right? The Yankees are far more iconic, far more winning historically, all that stuff. We know that. So as much as the Steve Cohen era is supposed to be a new era, level of playing field in that respect, you know, they can't compete if a guy really, truly values the pinstripes, the Yankees logo, all that stuff, the tradition, then no, the Mets cannot compete on that level. They can compete, though, financially. And it depends on what Steve Cohen really wants when it comes down to it. Because he has the ability to blow away the Yankees and anybody else looking to sign Yamamoto with the contract offer. It's just a matter of, is he really going to go over the top on that offer? Or is he kind of trying to stay uh, a little more even keel with that after a couple of eventful years? All right, let's bring in Top Father actually for this one too. So, Todd, you played for the Yanks mm -hmm. and for the Mets. Is it real? <laughs> if you if everything was pretty much the same, do you think Yamamoto says, "I like that Yankee tradition and everything else"? <laughs> Plus, I mean, right now, I would say percentage chance of, of Yankees versus Mets making the playoffs. If that's important to him on the short term, I would think so. What do you think, Top Father? You've got both sides here on the yeah, spot. I no, I, I don't. I don't mind at all. I, I think it is true. I think there's a certain tradition in the Bronx compared to the Queens. Compared to Queens, I mean, from playing from both teams, I get that question all the time. It's like, what's the difference? Well, it's just sometimes in Queens, as Tim knows, I've had it out with some reporters, you know, during the seasons and stuff. It seems like no offense to Tim or those guys, but they're looking always for the juice, always trying to find the problem. You know what I mean? In Queens, and in New York, it's you know, there's problems, but guess what? They they don't. It's just a different way of going about it. And some things get swept under the rug, some don't. But the tradition in New York, when it comes to the Bronx, it's winning. It's going in there, you know, shaving your face. People talk about shaving their face. Maybe that's a problem, but it's just something that is just different from everybody else. You're, you're held to a higher standard, and I think that's where I'm getting at when it comes to that, Tim. Can I make one point here, though, on the media side? And a question, I guess, too. Because, sure. I mean, you do get a lot of the same media that'll crisscross and, and go to both Yanks and Mets. Um, you were there for Wilpon era, right? You weren't there when yeah. Cohen was owning the yep. team? In my mind, and Tim, you can help me out here, too. I think the way that things have been conducted so far with the new group, as they still also take on a ball club, and I've learned about this too, and you're an organization with hundreds of employees, you can't just take over a team and like fire everyone. You go through an evolution, a process, mm -hmm. you know, where are the problems? Where can we get better? And that even includes their president of baseball operations now in David Stearns. I think there was more drama created by the previous regime um, on a daily basis in terms of how they were running the team. And that also led to a lot more drama <laughs> with the Mets. Is that fair? That's I, I, Yeah. I'd no, say so. That. I would, I would say so. I mean, yeah, I give a prime example of Noah Syndergaard, man, or um, what's his name? The the Dark Knight. <laughs> I'm just just drawing a blank. Oh, Harvey? Harvey. Like yep. two two guys that it, all of a sudden one thing went wrong, and next thing you know, it's like anytime they pitched, there was something else. Like, And, and you know, sometimes they put it on themselves. Don't get me wrong, but it was like it, it was there was a lot more people in, in those lot in their lockers you know, usually when it came to after they were done pitching or when something was going on. Tim, what do you think? I think the idea of the Steve Cohen Mets being cleaner, writing, running a tighter ship, all of that stuff, as opposed to the Wilpon Mets, is in a lot of ways still just theoretical. 
because it's been three years since Steve Cohen bought the team, and it's been really eventful, sometimes in good ways and sometimes in bad ways. They've had turnover at manager still, turnover at GM. You know, so there's there has been a learning curve for the Steve Cohen Mets that I think he has figured out or is figuring out. And now they've got David Stearns. They've got Carlos Mendoza. So it's another fresh start. And maybe this one sticks and is more like what people thought was going to happen when Steve Cohen bought the team. But yes, the Wilpon Mets were absolutely chaotic. And so the Steve Cohen Mets have uh, also been chaotic, but maybe a little less so. And moving forward, probably much less so, I would guess. Yeah, and I want to I want to jump off that. Like, what changes have you seen since Stearns has taken over, if any? Like, have you seen any differences uh, the way he goes about, you know, being the one of the top guys in the organization? Well, it's a small sample size still, so we're still figuring it out. You know, we have to see what spring training looks like, see what a losing streak or mediocre season looks like, things like that. But he in uh, trying to apply his Brewers experience, that wisdom to the Mets, it's it's been interesting. I think whereas the Mets of the recent past under Epler and Cohen were gung-ho, all in on free agency, win immediately, going to buy, try to buy a championship, all that stuff with Scherzer, Verlander, etc. That didn't work out. So this is a little bit of a reset. Stearns is able to spend a lot more money, of course, with the Mets than he did with the Brewers. But he, I think he's still going to be selective in that. And that's why, even if they're not all in on 2024, Yamamoto, for example, only 25 years old, is an exception. And he, it, it seems like, <laughs> frankly, it seems like they have to do a better job of not leaking stuff, which is always, I think, a good thing for a front office, even though it's a bad thing for reporters covering the team. It makes it harder, of course. Um, so I, I credit them for that. They've been they operated almost entirely in secrecy on the manager search front throughout October. There are very little leaks to come out of that. Um, but overall, I think the, the David Stearns Mets and his front office is still evolving roster wise. Definitely front office. He's made several key additions and that group is, uh, you know, coming together, gelling together. Yeah, Todd, that's, that's a good point on Stearns. I want to ask about Stearns as well, because. You know, him moving to the Mets, you know, I I, I assume that he would be more aggressive because he has more money to spend, you know, with, than with Milwaukee. So now, you know, it's good to see that he's kind of bringing that, you know, build through the farm system kind of mentality to New York as well as going out to get free agency. So that's good to see. But if they're able to get Yamamoto, do you think this becomes a playoff team? I think they need more than Yamamoto. The, the the bar that the Mets have set for themselves is to be competitive, right? And that's sort of a general term. David Stearns did say, though, in October that he expects competitive in 2024 for the Mets to mean competing for a playoff spot. And given the expanded playoffs these days, that's sort of a low bar. You know, you can win, be in the mid to low 80s win total and feasibly be in the playoff race into and through September, but I think the Mets are going to need more than Yamamoto. They had they need another hitter, especially in the outfield, maybe at DH. They need to rebuild most of a bullpen behind Edwin Diaz and Brooks Raley. So there's plenty of work to do. This is not a one-player-away sort of situation. But they can get there over the course of the offseason, absolutely. So you look at the Diamondbacks – making the playoffs and then making it to the world series, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I, I keep, I always mention this on our show, how, you know, they had the talks with Verlander and Scherzer kind of saying like, mm, we might not be good next year. But the thing that I keep thinking is if they do land Yamamoto, I think they do a few other things like you mentioned, especially on the pitching side. And you know, can they be a wild card team at 84 wins? Like the diamondbacks were, I mean, the Mets coming off what most people would say is a brutal season, 175 games, yeah. no Edwin Diaz, Yamamoto, if he's a one, Kodai Senga right now looks like a really legit two in the bigs. And then you fill out the rest of that rotation. Some of the dudes on offense bounce back a little bit like a Jeff McNeil. I don't know. I think that could be a wild card team. I, I could see them being better than the Marlins. Marlins made the playoffs too. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry to the Marlins, but I hope the Mets are better than the Marlins in uh, 2024. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's totally possible if things fall the right way, which is very easy to imagine because of some of the guys that they have. You can pencil Alonzo for 40 homers and 100 RBIs. Lindor has coming off a great season. McNeil, I'm very comfortable saying he'll bounce back after a, a down year last year and a batting title the year before. Starling Marte was basically nothing last year, and they think he's healthy now, so we'll see. The young players, I think Francisco Alvarez is going to take another step up. So, yes, there are a lot of reasons to be positive on the Mets. Um, at this still sort of early, maybe middle stage of the offseason, where they do have several gaping holes, and Yamamoto certainly would fill the biggest of those holes right at the top of the rotation. And you mentioned the Diamondbacks. They're a great example. The Phillies the year before. It really speaks to the idea of if you just get in, anything can happen. Anybody can get hot in October. And that's, I think, sort of the Mets approach in 2024. They're not going to go all in. They're not going to win 100 games. But they could be pretty good and then see what happens. What? In your opinion, besides you know pitching depth, what other pieces do you feel that they need to add to make this team a playoff team? Because um, do they have any guys coming through the farm system that you can think of, or or what other pieces that can they add to help this team to get get to where they need to be? The biggest thing they need to add on the position player side is an outfielder. Right now, left field is is open. They're not going to put any of their real young guys there. Jeff McNeil is primarily a second baseman, David Stern said this week. So left field is, is, is the biggest gap. It could be interesting, though, if they took Brandon Nimmo, who has turned himself in recent years into a very strong center fielder, and moved him to left and signed a very good center fielder like, say, Kevin Kiermaier. I really like that idea. It's sort of – honestly, I can't get the idea out of my head because I love the idea in theory – no, nothing against Nimmo, who's awesome. But if you had a center fielder in left, which is pretty big at City Field, and a center fielder in center, then you're then you're cooking with gas a little bit. You're, you can you know you're going to catch a lot of fly balls that way. So I think a move like that could go a long way, or they could just go with you know a bat first left fielder, and that would improve the team too. But figuring out the outfield, adding a legitimate option there, would go a long way towards shoring up the defense in the lineup. Yeah, I, I have said this, you know, basically since the offseason started and just the way some things, you know, didn't go their way. I, I think the Mets, I mean, obviously with Yamamoto, I, I think it's a lock, but I, I think they win more games than they did last year. Now, the difference between yeah. 77 and 87, obviously, is the playoffs, something like that. But um, let's let's take it to the Yanks for a sec here because I, I liked your little tidbit on Soto and how that trade came together. So, yeah. you know, I'll read it. Um from you yesterday, a great example of the impact and importance of organizational depth. After the 2017 season, the Yanks had a bit of a 40-man crunch. Too many worthwhile players, not enough spots. Good problem to have. They cleared two spots, dealing Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith to the Marlins for Michael King. <laughs> and they didn't have room for those guys. Not a big transaction at the time. Six years later, yeah, big part of the Soto deal. So... Um, do you think we're undercovering moves like that sometimes? And and I'm not even talking like player by player. I'm more saying it seems to me that there are a group of teams that often have that crunch, and this is what they do, right? There, there's the same teams that have the 40-man crunch, and they trade number of players for one higher upside prospect or player, and then that's where a lottery ticket like this works out later on, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think the Yankees – are a great example of a team, an organization that is able to do that. And they get undercovered because they're not sexy moves at the time, right? I remember that that trade very much sticks out to me because I was covering the Marlins at the time. And I liked Michael King, who had just had a really solid season in the lower minors. Wasn't a huge prospect, but it was like, okay, you know, this is a New England guy. I like New England guys. Uh, curious to see what he becomes. Then he gets traded to the Yankees in the deal before the Stanton Marlins deal. And I just always have enjoyed following his career. And, and Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith, to their credit, to the Marlins' credit, were pretty solid players for Miami for a few years. And then 
little Michael King ends up being not only a really good pitcher for the Yankees in recent years, but then the 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 want the key piece in the Juan Soto trade, which is just kind of mind blowing. So it's 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 not it's not a very sexy thing, but it is a testament to an organization's pro scouting, drafting, player development, all of that largely behind the scenes stuff that really truly moves the needle in ways other than just developing superstars, right? It, it matters in more subtle ways than, you know, in the Yankees example, they have Volpe and Dominguez, right? Those are probably going to look like big player development wins, big internal wins. But then there's also this smaller stuff too that doesn't get noticed as much. Yeah, and the Yankees have made a lot of trades now. They've whiffed on some of those trades, but many teams can't make the volume of trades like that without completely collapsing their farm yeah. system. And that they have not done. So it's a good call. Tim, thanks for joining us, man. Um, happy Otani Day, maybe to you, um, hopefully to you, so that we can move on to the rest of the free agent process and also talk about this and not on like Saturday at 2 a.m. So appreciate you, man. Have <laughs> a nice weekend. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you. Tim Healy, sure. uh, Mets beat writer for Newsday Sports. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter as well. We'll post all of that on the FT Twitter with some clips coming up in just a sec. Uh, we'll be right back to go over the center field situation for Aaron Judge. Our expert center fielder will let everyone know if he can handle it long term. Yes, Todd Father, low camp. <laughs> uh, we got a little low, low nose action for you. Um, segment of, on our expert center fielder here as Aaron Judge has played center field before. Low, you've played center, you've played in the corners. What do you think the season looks like for the Yanks if this is the exact outfield construction they go with? And let's assume that players are healthy. We know that injuries are going to happen. I think that's part of why the Yankees are loading up their outfield depth because they're sick of having, you know, waiver wire guys play half the season for them in the outfield um, over their stars. But let's just say Giancarlo gets it figured out. He's DHing a good chunk of the year and Judge has to play a lot of center field. Would you be concerned about what that does to his body long term? I mean, from a guy that certainly from time to time would tell everyone that that you're feeling it in the knees and your back and the whole thing. Center field doesn't help, right? Not at all. You know, they paid him all this money to be a thumper, you know, so you let thumpers thump. You know, you don't you don't put him in center field and, and have him doing all this running around trying to catch fly balls. All right. You got Verdugo. You got you got Trent. You throw one of those guys out there. Let them be playmakers. You allow Judge to play right field and you put. I don't know, Soto in left or whoever you want in left or vice versa, and you let that that work out because center field is very taxing on the body, all right? And that's a quick story. My guy, Witt, you know, once I left KC, he, um, you know, he started playing a lot of center, and about a month into the season, he texted me. He said, hey, man, now I see why you were coming to the dugout saying you're tired and your feet hurt. Now I <laughs> So it's taxing on the body, man. So keep him in right, and you guys go out there and let him thump. So what would you do? Would you keep him completely out of center? Would you have yes. a limited number for him? Like, would you be okay with, I don't know, once a week, which would get you to, if there's about 25 weeks in a major league season, maybe 20-ish mm -hmm. starts in center field? Is, is that a good number? Because I think right now we're looking at 100-ish, which seems to me like way too much for him, right? I don't, to me personally, I, I completely just allow him to only play right field. Just put him in a position that he's comfortable, right? Or the corners, you know, either or whatever he's comfortable in. But I keep him away from center. You know, you paid him to drive and runs. You paid him to hit home runs. That's, he's there because of his bat. Yes, he is a good defender. Don't get me wrong. He's a really good defender. But center field, you got to make sure this guy is healthy day in and day out. And I think placing him in center field is doing a disservice to the New York Yankees. Who, who who would they put in center then if that's the case? Would that be a Verdugo? I would say Verdugo or Trent. Trent Grisham, he can play center field. No Verdugo yeah, but, in center for me. I, I don't think he's good enough to handle center. That's oh, my personal but, opinion. But, I think in the corners he's he's average-ish. Hear me out. You you put Trent in center, then where do you put Soto and Verdugo? I say let him rotate, you know. Um, I say let Trent play center. What would we have, four outfielders? So Trent in yeah. center. Uh Judge and right, Soto and left, and I said they alternate, you know, and who knows, they, you know, Trent and Verdugo kind of flip-flop, pretending, you know, depending on matchups, but I guess, is Verdugo a switch hitter? Is he a switch? No. No, no lefty. He's, 
lefty, so we got They're two all, lefties. All lefties right? except Judge, yeah. So you can't right. just well, whoever's in against get the rest, you know, between Trent and Verdugo, and then of course Soto and uh, Judge is you know always going to be in the lineup. It's a tough. It's a tough decision they're going to have yeah. to make because Verdugo, we we talked about the other day, he wants to play. It's his free agent year coming up next. Soto, he's going to want to play, and they're not. They're not not going to let him play. So him and Judge are almost definite in playing, and Verdugo's that much close right behind him. So Grisham's the odd man out, but he's the only center fielder they got. So it's yeah. um, do you maximize your offense or you minimize your defense? I mean, I, that's the question they're going to have. Can, can I make a case that, I mean, for depth purposes, it's good to have right now, but, and, and let's see what happens with Stanton, but you could have yourself a problem at the beginning of the season. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, Todd father, where they're, they're playing judge in center field because of the roster crunch where their defense would be much better. If Trent Grisham is in center, he's an elite center fielder. He's great. He's had problems with the bat. I get it. Um, he also can take a walk though, and could be a bounce back candidate, you know, in the eight or nine spot for the Yanks. It's just that maybe you end up trading Verdugo. I don't know. Right. I mean, I say you force him to play center. I mean, you, you get spring training and you work it, you know, you work him as, as best you can and, and help him learn the position as best he can. Because I mean, with Verdugo in center, Judge, Soto, Stanton, DH, and that lineup can be unstoppable. So, I mean, Trent, Verdugo, you got to find a way to make it work in center for sure. Yeah, I'm looking at stack cast numbers for Verdugo. So, he was – he had a one. So, he's basically average on on outs above average, 67 percentile, but this is in the corners. Um, And and the arm strength is high. But, I mean, sprint speed, he's a below-average runner. I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're thinking about putting him out there. I, I think they're serious about putting Judge out there a lot in the beginning and then see what happens. You know, and if, if Big G gets hurt, things change, right? Then all of a yeah. sudden, Judgey can mix into some DH. Soto can mix into some DH. Verdugo maybe at times can mix into some DH too. That changes things. And then Grisham ends up getting a lot of playing time. But at least in the beginning of the season, you know how this stuff works too, right, Todd? Like last year, the amount of times that they had outfield problems, and you're looking at who's out there, and you're like, "Damn, oh is yeah, the outfield that, I, and the I, New York Yankees." And I think this is part of it because they understand it's kind of inevitable that somebody is going to get injured. That's just the nature of the beast. And to have a guy like Trent Grisham on the bench that can play pretty much any outfield spot—I mean, center field would be his spot—but still to have another guy when somebody goes down, I think this is their case for. It. And I think Cashman was thinking about that too as well after the comments he made about Giancarlo. So yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's a good move. I mean, it's always good to have a backup plan and have some good athletes waiting in the rear, but you're going to have some angry guys too, because not all of them are going to play. You know, what's going to happen though. They're all going to be healthy. And then yeah. be, the conversation in April is going to be, yeah. well, what are they doing? Judge is playing center field every day. And then everyone's going to be freaking out if something happens to Judgey too, you know? Even True. if it's something that could happen in the corners, which, you know, when he got hurt at Dodger Stadium, that was in the corner, right? But that was a whole other issue because for some reason ballparks didn't update themselves and have padding mm-hmm. everywhere, which blows my mind. Do you remember that, low when that happened to Judgey last year? Were say. you pissed off? Like, have yeah, you been there before where you're in an outfield and you're like, um – this is a $13 billion industry. Why is there not padding right in that spot right there? Yeah. It's so weird because I've, I've, you know, I've hit my toe underneath certain spots on the uh, center field wall. And also I've ran into walls where if you hit the exact, you know, right spot, you can, you can actually feel the pole that's holding up the, you know, the padded wall. So, you know, I crushed my back on the, on a pole once in Milwaukee and man, it, 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 it hurt pretty bad. So it's things that they need to figure out as far as the stadium. Because like you said, it's, you know, building off stadium, stadium, find a way to make it work, make it safe for the players. Yeah, Scott, he, he did one of those. He got hit by the pole, went down, ah, and then he got ah. the first base, and he ah, took off and stole the base and shit. Yep. You know, he, ah. Hey, you I know who stole four bags that game, right? Uh. <laughs> I said, I think maybe you stole four, four bags that game after hurting your back. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Uh, we'll swing right back on stadium with poll results. Uh, last chance to vote. I'm going to do it right now during the break here. 
Pete Alonzo? Is he getting traded? Or what would you do? Trade, extension, or just leave him and let him play out that free agent season? Be right back. All right, poll results on Pete Alonzo and the lack of communication between the Mets and his side on a potential extension. So what would you do with him right now if you were running the Mets? Um, I voted extension. I think Pete's perfect there. Dude's been consistently bashing homers. I think he's fun. He speaks his mind. I, a lot of guys can't handle New York. Like I just think he deserves it. And it's not like going to be a 10-year deal. It's going to be a five- to seven-year deal, which I, I would be all over it right now. I'm trying to get that done three years ago. Um, extension is leading the pack, followed by trade, followed by nothing. So, Todd, you know him. What would you do? And also, what would you tell him? Should I mean, they got to reach out to him, but I imagine he wants to be there one team for life. It seems like he loves Mets fans and communicating with them and kind of being, you know, his quirky self. Yeah, I, I think if I'm him, I'm nagging them about a contract extension. Um, he fit, like you said, he fits there perfect. He does a lot. He does a lot for the city. He does charitable events, raises money um, for a lot of unfortunate people in the city. Um, he does everything pretty much for that team, man. He's a leader. He's a guy that you want on the team. If I'm them, hey, man, let's talk. Oh, not today. How about tomorrow? All right, not tomorrow. Let's pick a day like to try and figure this thing out because he's what the Mets need. And he's, I mean, he's a 50-plus homer guy. This dude, he just crushes balls. He's an okay defender. He's getting better and better. He works hard uh, at his craft at first base. Um, he's a fun-loving guy. He makes mistakes just like everybody else. But if I'm him, I'm nagging Cohen. Hey, man, when can we talk? When can we talk? Let's get this thing done. And if Cohen didn't really want him, I would just be honest with him. Like, you know, be truthful because Pete can handle it. He, he's a big boy. But at the same time, this would be great for him to kind of breathe a little bit more, understanding that, you know, this year I, I'm a Met for life or I'm a Met for the next six, seven years. So I think if I'm Pete, I'm going to not. And I, I go back to when I played. For an example, I remember Skip Schumacher told me, hey, dude, it's your career. You make the decisions. Don't let your agent make the decisions for you. Go get after it a little bit. And, you know, I wish I took that to heart because I would have, I would have, hopefully some things would have played out a little better. But I think Pete needs to start nagging a little more. I think his reps are probably looking to make a massive, massive record breaking deal. So there could be a little bit of miscommunication there where you're looking back yeah. at like Freeman's contract, Paul Goldschmidt's deal. And Boris already mentioned, like, I didn't do those deals, so that doesn't count. Well, then you're going to have a little bit of miscommunication there because those two players are pretty damn good. And I think they're pretty similar age, mm -hmm. even though they were, well, Freeman was a free agent. Goldie had the one year left um, when he signed the extension with the Cardinals. So good, good to think about. All right, let's slap hands. Fans are just hanging out in the chat. Like, if you see anything, if you hear anything, let us know. We're doing our best. We're also trying to be real with you on what we actually believe. And I said in the chat at one point, I was like, when our FT senior insider Ken Rosenthal says it's real, it's real. Okay? Ken has not put anything out yet on it. So That's right. Let's. Uh, a friend of ours also on the show, Jim Bowden, has a tweet for us that just came out. According to sources from the team still involved in the negotiations with Otani, he has not made a decision and the process is ongoing with no expected imminent conclusion. All other reports are <laughs> he, not he, true. He put that in there because the earlier, no, 100%. I'll tell you why also because I listened to him on, on his SiriusXM show um, early this morning and he said that. He actually, he, re, he really went for it. Some of these insiders are going after each other a little bit friendly, but he goes, Hey, he's like, cause he knows JP. He's like, you're putting your reputation on the line, man. And he said the same thing. He's like, imminent to me is coming real soon. Definitely today within hours. He was like, it's gotta happen if that's what imminent is. So a little bit of a uh, shots fired action here. What, what I think also is happening in my mind low is that it's so competitive and this is such an historic decision that's being made i think some people are trying to jump the gun and if you do put out there like it looks as if he's going to be a dodger or a blue jay so if someone tries to say it first and then says see told you he's a blue jay or if someone says see he decided today people Agreed, might be getting a little more aggressive without you know kind of checking with enough people on this aka also who are you checking with when 
there's not much information out there and it could be only between him and his rep. I mean, even people like he, he's with CAA, but I bet you even most people that, that work for CAA, which is a huge agency, but most people there are not in on it right now, right? You could literally have two people talking to one or two other people on the Blue Jays. It could be player, agent, owner, GM. It could be four humans. And unless you're tapped in with one of those four, you might be a little off. Agreed. To me, it looks, it looks like it's turned into a guessing game, you know? Um, yep. Like, who can, you know, report it first? But at the same time, you mess up your credibility by, you know, tweeting out early. But everyone wants to be the first to let everyone know to also, we can also destroy your credibility. Credibility. So we'll see what happens. So it's, it's interesting. You know, he's the talk of the town right now. So, uh, you know, everybody's in wait and see. But uh, I, I agree with Jim. Um, I don't think anything's as close as everyone's making it out to be. Yep. I'm with you. I also want to say a shout out to my little man. He turns he turns six today. So little Landon Kane. So let's go. Baby. Happy birthday. Turns there you go. And and I know I asked people for some questions. Mostly the questions just ask about obviously Otani. We don't know. All we know is that some people's reputations are being <laughs> thrown all over the place right now for reporting conflicting news. Um, trades this weekend. I have no idea. I think Otani is holding up the market. I truly, truly believe that. Everyone has been saying that. That's the one thing that the entire industry can agree on right now. And that's all he's right. But after he signs, dominoes start to fall and they might fall quickly. So enjoy your weekend. But also, hey, go ahead. I was just going to say, keep an eye on your phones. Sweatshirts available. Foul territory coming out. Hoodies, baby. Let's go. We've all been we've all been asking. We've been I've nagging. been waiting. I've been waiting. So you foul territory be, sweatshirts. We'll be the first to rock them. We we will show pictures. We will throw it all up on there. Obviously on foul territory shop right now. You've got t-shirts, wristbands, hats, stickers, whatever. But we're getting a little winter mix coming soon. So look out for those sweatshirts. Fellas, have a good good weekend. Yeah, stay warm. You too. Enjoy. Later, everybody. Maybe we'll see you this weekend for some Otani breaking news like Saturday at 3 in the morning. Bye.